0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to Wild Confidence. I'm your host, Ainsley B. And I can't wait to share with you some amazing guests on this season of the podcast. Our goal here is to help one another find, keep, and share our wild confidence in Christ. I'm so thankful you're joining us. And if you love the episode today, I'd be so grateful if you left a review or shared it with a friend. All right. All right. Let's hop in. I can't wait to meet our guest today. Miss Lori Ann Wood lives with her husband in an empty nest in beautiful Bentonville, Arkansas. Having discovered a serious heart condition almost too late, Lori Ann writes to encourage others to explore their difficult faith questions along the detours of life. Read more from her at LoriAnnWood.com. Y'all, this conversation is so good. Divine Detour is her book. If you want to go ahead and get it order it. It's amazing. It is filled with all kinds of good questions that we need to ask in our faith, especially when life gives us a detour. Miss Lorianne, thank you so much for hanging out with us on Wild Confidence. How
1: are you today? I am so good. Thanks for having me, Ainsley. It's great to be here. Of course.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about the heat and just how (laughs) unbearable it is.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's ridiculous. It's (laughs) awful.
0: but in other news, I want to talk about your book. I want to hear Mm. all about your book and the story behind your book. As I was reading a little bit, I'm like, oh man, this is so, I mean, just the way that you're talking about it is so helpful for us to all know and hear. And then also just, I think the topic the divine detour, the path you'd never choose can lead to the faith you've always wanted. What does that mean and how does it work in our lives? Please share with us why you wrote this book.
1: Yes. Well, you know, I think a lot, like so many people, I felt like I've got a book inside me and someday Mm -hmm. when I'm an expert in something, I'm going to write a book. And, um, I just, I never took the time to do it. I thought, oh, I'll write about how to vacation on the cheap or how to throw a really good children's party or something like that, that I knew about. But about eight years ago, I guess it's been now, um, the funny thing is it started out is I had a medical evaluation for a life insurance policy and they said, wow, you are so healthy. You have less than like 3% chance of ever developing heart disease in your Mm. lifetime. And I was like, that's great. But it didn't surprise me because I, I've always had really good, uh, all the, all the numbers were really good. Like my blood pressure was always low. My cholesterol was great. I didn't have any family history of anything related to heart. And like, if I had listed all my worries at that point, you know, cancer would kind of be up there, but heart disease wouldn't even have been on the list at all. And, and then three weeks after that evaluation, I just wasn't feeling well. I um, was getting ready for Thanksgiving and doing all the mom things for Thanksgiving. And I knew I was not a hundred percent. I was kind of sluggish, uh, but nothing huge. I wasn't like, you know, incapacitated, laying in my bed or anything like that. Yeah. And, and I went to convenient care a couple of times. I got an inhaler and then I, that didn't really help. And then I got an antibiotic and I said, I don't know if I'm going to feel that because I don't feel like that's what it is. And then Friday I went to see my family doctor and he immediately listened to my chest with a stethoscope. And he said, if we're lucky, it's pneumonia and um oh my he God. led me down to the x-ray lab and what he found was that i had an extremely enlarged heart and he put me in cardiac icu immediately wouldn't even let me go home and pack a suitcase <laughs> and yeah i stayed there for 2 weeks but the the most shocking thing that came out of that is as i'm not feeling that bad as i'm not suspecting anything my heart was functioning at just 6%, 6%, 6%, which was just so, uh, unreal to me. And I kept thinking the whole time I was in ICU, I thought this is going to resolve. It's going to turn around. I'm going to get back to my life. It's all going to be good. Not a problem. And I went for, you know, well, during that, during that initial, uh, time that, first couple of weeks i was in my local icu and then they flew me to cleveland clinic and i ended up being my doctor's most critical patient there for a year and a half oh. and um what you know i you don't want to be the most critical patient for anybody at the no. Cleveland clinic no um, never uh but mm. she my doctor there she ended up writing the forward to my book actually but um Later, in just the last few months, she told me that my heart was the largest heart she had ever seen when she looked at it. And so I, they sent me home and they kind of sent me back to my life thinking, you know, maybe you've got a few months. We don't know what we can do for you at this point. And I had a life vest on, which is like an external vest that you wear with electrodes that can shock you if they, if it needs to, if your heart stops. And I oh. carried around a card that said, um, this person is at high risk of dying suddenly. And, and I just, I did what? the things I, you know, I tried to do all the school things and, and all keep all the things going that I was doing as a mom. And, um, it, it was a weird, uh, time my daughter it ended up graduating from high school during that time and went to college and then right after I dropped her off at college I went into surgery to get an internal device
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um but still I was not getting any improvement I all that time doctors were trying medications and all the devices and all the lifestyle changes with uh, different things and I just was not getting any better. I was kind of hanging on, which, you know, looking back now, I realized was kind of a miracle in itself. But I, I wasn't getting any better, and I had people praying for me around the clock and uh, all the different support that I had, but nothing was happening. And then, a uh, the, uh, kind of a marker in the story. There's a pin about right here. It was 16 months to the day. That I was first diagnosed with in stage heart failure is what they called it, and wow. I had I carried that diagnosis around, and they didn't they don't really know what happened with my heart. They assume, for lack of a a better suspect, I guess they would say that it was probably a virus that attacked my heart sometime uh, during my life. But in a in a very pre COVID world, that was weird to think about so um but i i had this end stage heart failure diagnosis and then 16 months to the day that i got that i came down with appendicitis needed my appendix out and nobody would do surgery on me because they're like no that's too weak of a heart not doing that yeah yeah Yeah. So I kind of laid there in the hospital, needing my appendix out and no one would do the surgery. And then one of the uh, doctors that came on call said, well, let's just do a heart. uh, They do an echo, which is kind of like a sonogram of your heart Mm -hmm. to see how it's functioning. They said, let's just do an echo and see where she's at right now, just so we know. And because they do them about every three or six months and we were in between. And so they did this echo and they found that my heart was functioning at almost normal. (laughs) I just got full body chills. I know, right? Because I was as shocked, at least as shocked when I heard that as I was when I was first diagnosed, because I had no idea. And I I just remember being wheeled into surgery to get my appendix out. And I'm thinking, I just got my life back. You know, I'm going to survive because the survival rate was like five years at that point. And I thought, I'm, you know, I got my life back and I know the story. It's a story of, you know, divine healing and answer to prayer and God's provision. And I was ready to tell that story. And I did tell it for a while. And then about four years ago, my heart function dropped and Mm -hmm. I've been in active heart failure since then. And in the last six months or so, I got a new device and my heart function has dropped twice in the last six months. So, you know, what I'm learning so much, but one of the things is that from a physical standpoint, heart failure is a chronic progressive disease. It, mm. it never goes away. Once your heart muscle is damaged, it doesn't regenerate. It's the only muscle in your body that doesn't regenerate or heal itself. Oh, wow. And, you know, they can prop you up with like medications and devices and, you know, you all these different lifestyle things that you can do and they can help you. Medical science can help manage all the symptoms And for a lot of people, they can slow down the progression, but it really only goes in one direction. Mm -hmm. And so while I was having that, my first question was, if it only goes in one direction, how did I get back to normal? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what was happening was if you think about like a line graph and you're plotting a bunch of points on there, uh, sometimes you can have a spike up on one of those points but you're still, your overall movement is still down. And so that's what was happening in that time. And so that all was just uh, so new and so uh, something out of the blue for me. But I think the real story and what I really got out of that and still learning is what's happened with my faith during that time.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, because how did you not live
1: in fear? Oh, uh, you know, that's a or that's you? a really <laughs> strange thing because I am somebody that would really be in fear. That's I like to know exactly where I'm going and I like to see the end and envision it. And mm-hmm. we and I say we because my husband and I have just traveled this journey so closely together. And he would, if he was here, he would say the same thing is that. We just had this weird, and I, I've i never experienced it before, but this peace that just enveloped us. Because doctors said, you know, you're only going to live six months. You're not going to be able to do all these things. Um, you're going to have severe depression. You're going to, you know, they sent me home with a hospice binder. And oh, that yeah. in itself should have made me go, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I've got children and, um, we just, we were so protected during that time. And that was the first time I'd ever really experienced that piece that passes understanding mm. because it was so much past the understanding that I wanted to have. I wanted to know, mm-hmm. how did I get this? How do we fix it? You know, what's next? And instead I got this piece that we you know I slowed down my life considerably I made changes in you know sleep patterns and all these things and in doing so I lost a lot of things because I had to I had to pare down and there was a little bit of I won't say grief there was a little bit of disappointment in some of that but even in doing that I just I just felt like I was being taken care of and I can't explain it because it's not really wow. my personality.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: to be honest. Yeah. That
0: is incredible. And I'm thinking about all the people who may not have this specific, um, you know, heart disease diagnosis, but maybe it's something else in their life or a circumstance, um, a, a life change, uh, someone's, being removed from their life or something like that. I don't, I don't know, but I'm just thinking like, what are the things that you learned that you would want to tell them? And I know that I didn't prepare you for that question. I'm sorry,
1: No. <laughs> but no. I'm like,
0: I have different questions now.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I think one of the big things that, um, I learned is that and and I've been a Christian all my life. I was raised in a Christian home and raised our kids in a Christian home and been very active in uh, my faith and with the congregation. And, and we've been in the same congregation for 30 years. But um, one of the things I learned, not until heart failure, was that God didn't really promise us this easy, predictable life. Mm-hmm. And even though we want to think he did, We shouldn't have. I mean, you know, when you think about all the people in scripture that were so close to him and none of them had an easy or some of them didn't even have a resolved life when they were at the end. And so I've just learned to lean into that fact that as much as I want answers, um, maybe the value is more in the question than it is in the answer.
0: Oh, that intimacy.
1: Yes. Yes. Of of like
0: asking that question and letting your curiosity lead that faith and that bond, I guess, is what it would ultimately be. Yes. So speaking of questions, you put like life questions in the book. Can you explain Mm -hmm. a little bit more about each of those?
1: Yes, I sure can. You know, I. it's funny because when I told you that I... I always thought I'm gonna write a book someday. I don't know what it'll be about. And I thought I'm gonna wait till I have the answers or I'm an expert. And <laughs> um what I found was that um I thought I would write at first I thought I'm gonna write this medical story from beginning to end because it's a weird story. And there's a lot of other twists and turns in there that I haven't shared with you because it's kind of it it'd be a long, <laughs> it'd be a long story, but sure. Um I realized at some point that my story really wasn't about the medical story at all. It was kind of born of that, of my diagnosis and my illness, but it's really, and the book took this form. It's not really about the medical events. It's about these three most important questions that I think everybody, you know, it kind of nags at you during life, these three questions. But when you get detoured, like with my heart failure, or, you know, you have, you've lost your job, or you're in bankruptcy, or you're going through a divorce, whatever it is that you did not see coming, and you Mm -hmm. would not have written your life that way. Those questions say, you must confront me now, you must Mm. confront me now. Mm. And That's what I found. And I was hearing that from other people. Like you said, you know, they would say, I don't, you know, I don't have heart failure and I don't have, I don't really have any medical issues, but I have, you know, uh, adult children that have left and won't speak to me. Or, you know, I just lost my job that I've poured my life into. So Mm -hmm. I knew I was onto something. And those questions were... (laughs) They were so basic, I was almost embarrassed to ask them because I I felt like, how did I get to be this old in this stage of life and still ask these really basic questions? And so I kept them inside for a long time because it was, I thought, I don't want people to know that it looks like my faith is so weak that I'm asking yeah. these. And I think a lot of people do that because, you know, we think we should have the answers instead of entertaining the questions. But um, back to your question about what are the questions, the questions that I found that everything that was going through my mind and everything that was pouring out of my soul went into these three questions. And the first one is, is this life all there is? Mm. Because that dictates what you do every day if this life is all there is then you know just worry about yourself worry about your own comfort worry about your health worry about um you know your whatever you're doing in your job and your financial status just worry about that and so i had to really confront that from uh, mine was from a health angle but and i called that the question of worry mm. because you know we things we worry about um, and then the second one was, uh, a question that I think if you Googled, uh, the top faith questions, this one would almost always come up and it's, is God always good? Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. what I'm feeling right now doesn't feel good. And mm. I don't know where he is. I, I don't hear from him. I don't see his hand moving. Um, I don't feel cared for. yeah. And so I called that the question of doubt because mm-hmm. we doubt if we're protected, we're doubt, we're doubting whether um, we should have been this vulnerable with this God mm-hmm. that we believed in. And, and that one was hard for me, but I think the, the most difficult one of all of these was the third question for me was, is God's plan enough? Because oh that one was the one where I really had to uh, confront that issue of control. And I, you know, sometimes your control just gets ripped out from under you and that's what happened to me. And I had to just really confront God about my disappointment and the failure that I was feeling and the, you know, the waiting that I found myself in. And so what I did was just really examine those three questions in light of Jesus's uh, when he had to face similar issues in the desert he mm-hmm. he faced those same three similar issues and I looked at them kind of in an unconventional way because you know I learned that when people are going through trauma or they've had, you know, some sort of pain event. And I think we've all had that from COVID and everything yeah. that's going on in the world. <laughs> but um, you you have a shortened attention span. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to write my book in short pieces so that people could digest something and and dwell on it and really kind of internalize it. And then if they don't come back to the book for a week or a month, they can still come back to it. And so I have like essays that are standalone essays dealing with each one of those three life questions and, you know, kind of woven throughout them are, um, my journal entries that I started writing when I was in the hospital that (laughs) I really didn't expect anyone to ever read. And I took little pieces of that, not to really, um, you know, at first I thought, I'll just put that out there, but I I wanted it to just be a point where someone could say, I have felt that. I have felt mm-hmm. that pain point. And, and that's kind of the way I organized the book because I wanted it to be more a guide for people that feel like they're on a detour more mm-hmm. than anything else. And often on those detours, you get off and you get back on. And you get off and back on yes. routine or
0: schedule or whatever. So I love that you wrote the book that way because that's so important and helpful whenever you are in a detour and you have those. It's all. I mean, you also on that detour have like those points, like you were talking about on that graph, where you have those high highs and then low lows and just such an unpredictable path that detours often take you on. But I'm, I'm. Still, like, gonna just marinate on that first question so much because whenever you do think about if this is all there is, like how inward that can turn you, Mm -hmm. but then that faith that we have in the love of God is what can what turns us outward, Mm -hmm. what turns us to the world when we believe that there that this isn't just all there is, that there is something a bigger purpose for us and a greater, um, a great God. And like, it's just so interesting because I don't, I think that that question does not get asked enough because our perspective, it forces a perspective shift. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking like, how often do I need to remember that one question? The other questions are amazing as well. But as soon as you asked that one question, I was like, man, how often do I need to ask myself that in a day to day, movement Mm -hmm. or like as I go throughout my day when I'm running late and I'm so stressed and I'm doing this and I'm so stressed and I'm like but that's also inward whenever Mm -hmm. I really should be stopping and being able to be interruptible or just simply asking myself if this is all there is what actually matters right now
1: yes yes and I love how you because I think we are, I don't know if it's a survival mechanism or, you know, our culture, but we are so wired to be inward focused. We're so wired to watch out for ourselves and take care of ourselves. And all of that is just screaming at us all the time to just, you know, worry about you and what's happening that you can see. And when I really started like peeling back all the layers of that the sad thing that I realized is that my faith really had me at the center of it. When I peeled back Mm. all those layers, it was me that was there. And that's not sustainable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I can't, I can't be at the center of my faith. And so that was one that really had to, you know, I had to, I had to look a lot about regret and just things that have happened that, you know. Are they going to be uh, something that are going to define my existence or is there something beyond this? And it was so, uh, and I think that's probably part of that piece that I was talking about that, that piece that passes understanding is that when I knew for sure that this isn't all there is, and whether I live, you know, the six months that they're telling me, or I live five years or 10 years, it doesn't matter. Because right. we all know how this ends. We've seen right. enough mm-hmm. of everyone else's story. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. We know. And <laughs> oh, our man. our best bet is to grab a hold of that hand and walk with it, walk with him through what we're going through. Because it only ends one way. But when we're in the middle of it, right. boy, it's so easy. And I think it's so easy to get distracted and pulled into that whirlwind.
0: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, especially, well, I guess I don't, I'm trying to think of how often I get pulled into that. I mean, I think it's just every day. And then I'm thinking about the role that doubt played in your whole journey and like Mm -hmm. just what that even looks like. And in the book, you say doubt is not the opposite of faith. Indifference is. So I just want to hear more about that as well, because I'm like, I think that a lot of people either feel like it's not okay to doubt, or they just don't know how to navigate doubt with other people, you know? And and like you said earlier, like admit, like, is this faith really what I believe in, or is this a faith in God, really, what I believe in, or is this faith in me that I'm really believing in? Because I'm feeling a little bit convicted, so I want to hear yeah. from you what what that quote means and why you said it. Yeah,
1: you know, I I guess, and again, I don't know if it's my upbringing because I have a business background, or or just <laughs> our world, or what, but I think um, we tend to think that the opposite of faith is you either believe or you doubt. And actually, you either believe or you just walk away. Walking away, indifference is the opposite of faith. Because when we're doubting, you know, Frederick Buechner calls it that doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. Makes (laughs) it hard to ignore your faith. Yeah, And I love that because... That's how I feel. I felt like to me, it was almost like a grain of sand in my shoe. Like, hmm, that's yeah. kind of annoying. I know it's there. <laughs> and if I don't stop and take it out and address it, um, it's just gonna nag at me. But I never forgot about the grain of sand in my shoe. And so <laughs> I think when we can just take our questions, and even as you know, longtime believers or people where you think, oh, I shouldn't have that question. You should have that question because that's what keeps your faith active. And when you're asking them and you're poking it and prodding it and wrestling with it, your faith gets stronger and it gets more defined and it gets clearer and you own it then. You know, it's not something that someone handed to you like this heirloom from your family. You own it. And I think when we just take our faith and let it sit there in indifference that's when faith begins to die
0: mhm i think you're exactly right that doubt is is like where those questions can really thrive and breed that intimacy that we were talking about yes. um but that indifference is just i don't care i don't care yeah. enough to know yes And even in the Bible, when it says like, help me with my unbelief, that's where I feel like doubt lives is like, no, I'm still willing to explore this and like receive help. But whenever you're indifferent, you're like, I don't need, I don't need help because I don't care. Yes. Yeah. And
1: you know, just so much in the Bible. Yes. (laughs) There's so many times where like people if they felt like they knew and they didn't need to ask a question, that's when Jesus would be disappointed. He never, like if someone asked a question, you know, you can think of even Peter, he didn't like slap him back down and say, you know, you're an idiot or Mm -hmm, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) He knew that that's what was going to make him strong. That was what's going to make him that rock. And so all of that, um, I don't. I, I think we need to. I don't know if we want to say normalize it or encourage it. I wasn't great at that when I was raising my kids about encouraging their faith questions because I was still back in that mindset of, "Ooh, I better have the answer if I'm going to yeah. encourage a question. I better have the right answer because I could yeah. really mess this up." <laughs> and if I could go back and and do it again, I would say. I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know, but let's let's think let's about it. it. Let's look at it yeah. together. Yeah. So, questions I think are just so underrated in in faith and um something that I think once we can get a hold of them and really own them, like you said, they that's when you get this intimacy built up with God and that's when while you're walking that rough detour, you're going to survive it because you've mm. got him with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, I'm just so thankful for your work and so thankful for what you're giving us as a gift in this book. And I'm um, where can we keep up with you online? I want to know like where can we stay connected?
1: Oh yeah. So my website is Laurianwood.com and I have, um, a books page. So it'd be com slash books. And you can also find the book divine detour on Amazon, of course. And, um, I have a, if anyone's in a, you know, that period of time I, where nothing's happening and you're praying and you just have this silent, there was sort of like this big, valley between God and I for a while. And I have a resource there, if it would be helpful for anyone that's in that silent period. And it's called five prayers and promises when you can't talk to God. And mm. that's, I'd love to share that with anyone. And that's just at com slash hope. And wow. then just, I think I'm Lorianne Wood on all the social media channels, but <laughs> well, that's something easy. very close to that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh man. Thank you so much for sharing your story and everything and all of the lessons that came along the way. Um, I'm so intrigued by it and so excited to gift your book to my dad because he just recently discovered, um, oh gosh, what's it called? An aortic aneurysm, maybe? Oh, sure. Yes. That was like last year, I think is whenever he discovered that, maybe more recently. And that just kind of he's extremely healthy. He's an iron man. He is, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those situations where, like you said, your health was so amazing. And then I'm thinking about him. His health was is great. He's an iron man. He's running and biking and, cy- and cycling and swimming and all of that. And I think that that just, it really put in perspective the humanity of all of us and mm-hmm. helped me start answering that first question of yours. So um, that's definitely why it feels extra personal to me. But also, isn't heart
1: disease the leading cause of death, if not
0: the second leading? I yes. feel like it's the leading cause. You no, know,
1: it is. And this is one of the things I really had to look up when I heard it because I was like, they can't be right. But it is the leading cause of death. And it kills more people than all forms of cancer combined. Gosh, which so seems we all impossible. need to be aware
0: of this. Yeah. We all need to be just yes. paying attention and honestly obviously checking our health and like routine visits and doing all those things but like getting our faith where it needs to be i think is yes. what will sustain us if anything detours us whether it be a diagnosis or a divorce or bankruptcy or anything like that i think the the urgency that i'm hearing from you is about your faith and that is what i'm just I fully agree with and need to spend more time working on
1: it, figuring yes, it out yes, and asking those too. questions. <laughs> I'm still asking the questions. Amazing. Yes.
0: Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It was so fun.
0: Thank you so, so much for spending time with us today and hanging out here on Wild Confidence. I hope that you feel encouraged and ready to tackle the day feeling even more confident than you did before you started listening. I'd be so thankful if you left a review or shared this episode with a friend and I'll see you soon. Oh, don't forget. Let's connect on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Ainsley B and I hope to meet you there.